0: Welcome to Season 5, Episode 42 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. Known as Tilt to her classmates, 16-year-old Claire Tiltman was planning to visit her friend Vicky Atkins. Claire had only celebrated the birthday milestone four days earlier. At around 6pm she left her home on Woodward Terrace in Horns Cross. She walked almost a mile on the familiar route to Riverview Road in Greenhithe, a town in Dartford, Kent. Claire was a pupil at Dartford Girls' Grammar School. That day, she had completed another milestone, the last of her mock GCSE exams. Claire was eager to chat with her friend about which direction they planned to take their lives over the next year. Both Claire and another friend, Lisa, were trying to gain their Duke of Edinburgh's award by volunteering at Dartford Fire Station. Claire had ambitions to be a firefighter, and she was deciding on the best way to achieve that goal. That evening, instead of going directly to Vicky's house, Claire Tiltman took a detour and stopped at a local shop to buy some cigarettes. Years later, Vicky Atkins, Claire's friend, spoke about what had happened.
1: Wanted to come and discuss college courses with me. Um, and my mum had popped into her house that evening and offered her a lift, but she wasn't quite ready, so she turned her mum's lift down.
0: Purchasing cigarettes could very well have been the reason why Claire declined the offer of a lift when Vicky's mother was at Claire's house earlier in the day. What's more, Claire wanted to get changed and do her hair after getting in from school. It was not late in the evening, but being winter, the nights were drawing in early. Claire crossed the high street as she had done many times before. A steady flow of traffic was standard on this stretch of road. A zebra crossing was active to make sure pedestrians could cross with ease. London Road in Greenhithe was not particularly busy. The shop shut early that evening on January 18th, 1993, except the newsagents where Claire had just bought some cigarettes. After the crossing, she took a shortcut through a narrow alleyway, the entrance of which was encompassed by vines, perhaps a route only a local would know. A man out on a jog familiar with Claire saw her on London Road at approximately 6.15pm. Five minutes later a motorist noticed an inconspicuous white car awkwardly parked on a verge near the traffic lights of a crossing. Moments later the witness saw a teenage girl run out of the entrance of the alleyway. But thinking it was just youngsters messing around, he carried on driving. No more than 30 seconds later, another driver, Michael Godry, was also travelling on London Road. He too passed the entrance to the alleyway. In the dim light, Michael's passenger, Ron, thought a mass on the pavement was a collection of rubbish bags. But as they drove closer, Michael Godry quickly realised that it was in fact a body. He reversed the car and Ron and Michael jumped out of the vehicle, assuming that the person they now recognised to be a teenage girl was in some sort of hit-and-run incident. Michael stayed, trying to assist Claire and Ron ran with urgency to find a phone and call an ambulance. Only Claire Tiltman and her attacker truly know what happened after she walked through that alleyway. What is certain, there was no way Claire could survive the attack. She was stabbed nine times. Despite the efforts of Michael Godry who tried to revive her with CPR during the wait for paramedics, the teenager died at the scene. From the start, it was clear to detectives that this was a murder inquiry. Officers were immediately dispatched to search the area for a possible suspect, maybe someone in bloody clothes or acting suspiciously. Onlookers had seen a man fleeing the scene. They noted he was wearing a light beige waist-length jacket. But despite a quick response from the Kent constabulary, Asking all potential witnesses near the scene if they had seen anything, officers drew a blank. Claire Tiltman was the much loved only child of Claire and Linda Tiltman. Claire's parents were protective of their daughter and it had not been long since they allowed the teenager more independence. That night her mother Linda had called Claire's friend Vicky. It was getting late, and time for her to come home. Vicky told Claire's mother Linda that Claire was not there, as she had not turned up. So Linda called Claire's other friend Lisa and again was told that Claire had not visited her house that evening either. From the second they found out their daughter was murdered, the fact that Cliff and Linda Tiltman offered Claire more freedom played on their minds. They understandably but unnecessarily felt guilt about her walking alone. In the days following their daughter's death, the Tiltman spoke at a press conference, and Claire's father described his heartbreak. People have asked me how I am, and all I can say is what I've said to the doctor and everyone else. Do you know anyone that's got a tablet for a broken heart? That's all I can say. Kent police received a call the day after Claire Tiltman was killed. A male voice on the other end of the line said he was in the area around the same time the murder occurred. He showed concern that someone may have reported seeing his white Ford Capri car in the same location. When officers visited his home to question him six days later, The mystery caller gave an alibi as to where he was at the exact time Claire Tiltman was attacked. The adult male said he had given his mother a lift and returned home by 6 pm, and he did not leave the house for the rest of the evening. When questioned, his mother confirmed his account, so he was not considered a suspect. What followed was one of the largest and longest-running murder cases for Kent Police. The inquiry was named Operation Artist. The investigation began in full swing, and there was a sense of urgency. However, the attack seemed to be random. Claire had no known enemies. She was not mugged. The motive did not appear to be sexual. Anyone could have been a victim to this frenzied perpetrator at any time. It seemed to be a very rare motiveless attack by a stranger, which made the task of narrowing down a list of potential suspects incredibly difficult. A month later, BBC's Crime Watch aired a segment on Claire Tiltman's murder. It was pointed out that the perpetrator could have a fascination with knives. The weapon used to kill Claire was a large knife, not typically the size you would find in the kitchen, or even one you might carry as part of a pocket knife. Most of the individuals trying to jog the public's memory were the people involved in the case. Claire's friends, police officers and paramedics. Her parents, Cliff and Linda, spoke about how proud they were of their daughter. They said that she was determined to pursue a career in the fire service. No one would change her mind. Over 200 mourners attended Claire Tiltman's funeral. Family, classmates... Acquaintances and strangers lined up to show support and say their goodbyes. Beautiful, colourful wreaths and flowers were laid in tribute. But Cliff and Linda had voiced their concern that their daughter's murderer could well be at the service blending in. Unknown to them, he was. Still dressed in their funeral attire... Linda and Cliff spoke with reporters.
1: You look around and you hope it's someone you don't know, but we don't know. Because unfortunately you start to look. I don't even know if that person was there today. Well. And that's how I felt. Sure. Because it could have been there. I walked, all right, Mm. there was a lot of people I didn't see. I knew that they were there. Because, all right, you're in a... A bit like going back to the night that I was told, you're Mm. in a state of shock, but... I don't know. That person could be there. Mm. I hope that they weren't, but they could be. So. We never forgive the person. Never, never. ever. But why For whatever they... reason, because no one ever, whether it was my worst enemy, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. No, no way. Because what that person done, there was no excuse. But that person's got
0: There was a man in a light-coloured jacket who was captured by a local news crew as they filmed the sad scene. The man was not singled out. He was just one of many mourners shuffling along the crowded street. The world was watching him attend the funeral with his parents. The deceased was someone he killed... And he was wearing the very jacket he had worn on the evening he committed murder. Colin Ash Smith lived in Swanscombe, about one and a half miles away from the spot where Claire Tiltman was attacked in Dartford. Ash Smith was fascinated with science fiction characters and television shows, such as Superman and Star Trek. But a counter to these harmless interests, he also had an obsession with knives. He had amassed a collection of 20 to 30 blades, including commando, sheath and flick knives, always carrying at least one on his person. In 1993, Colin Ash Smith's appearance was disarming, his face boyish for a 24-year-old. He worked as a local milkman for a time, dutifully delivering milk to the doorsteps of sleeping residents every morning. Like Claire, an only child, he lived with his parents, Aubrey and Diane. They were the link to Claire Tiltman. Both sets of parents knew each other from the local British Legion club. When Claire was murdered, the Ash Smiths offered their support to the Tiltmans, even attending the teenager's funeral with their son. Colin Ash Smith kept journals, notes and diaries detailing what he wanted to do with women, listing his plans and what he had done. In 1991, during his early 20s, Ash Smith met his first girlfriend Stella Murrell. Despite his relationship, he developed a fixation with another woman, a former colleague's wife. He broke into the home of the couple who lived only a short distance away. Ash Smith had designs to commit rape. Thankfully, he did not carry out his plan when he got spooked. He realised the woman was not alone in the house. Ash Smith's crimes were escalating fast. He stalked a woman at Swanscombe train station, intending to attack her, but at the last minute he backed out. The woman had approached him at the train station to ask the time. This had taken Ash Smith off guard. He made a handwritten note about the incident, which was later found among his belongings. It read, Alone at a train station, fully deserted apart from me and a woman around 30, for around 25 minutes. But I bottled it. It was late at night. All arrangements were made where to take her, where to hide the body, escape route, everything down to the last detail. But I bottled it. Lucky for her, I suppose. On the same piece of paper, he gave himself an overall score for what he described as his venture. It was labelled 50% successful. Ash Smith continually looked for opportunities to stab people. He always carried a knife. His plans often involve women. The attack on Claire Tiltman was not the first time that he had attacked someone. Colin Ash Smith carried out a horrific stabbing and sex attack shortly before Christmas 1988. On December 21st, a 27-year-old was walking home in the town of Swanscombe. She had just finished her night shift and was looking forward to seeing her husband. It was a journey she had made often. Being 3am during winter, it was not surprising the streets were quiet. Any witnesses were fast asleep indoors, getting plenty of rest in the lead-up to the holidays. She had almost reached her front door before she was startled by a young man who came out of nowhere, brandishing both a knife and a gun. Under the threat of violence... Ash Smith made the petrified woman walk with him to an abandoned quarry in Kent, where he cut off her clothes with a knife. He stuffed her mouth with tissues and assaulted her, attempting to rape her repeatedly. He kept her captive and forced her to pose in lewd photographs, refusing to let her go. The ordeal continued when he wrapped a school tie around her neck and attempted to strangle her to death. But as the material was old, part of his school uniform, it tore, saving the victim from death, but not serious injury. When strangulation did not end her life, Ash Smith stabbed her five times in the back. Assuming he had killed his target, he left the victim for dead, but not before covering her body with leaves and debris. However remarkably, she survived. She had passed out when Colin Ash Smith was attempting to cover his tracks, although she remained unconscious for some time. When she came to, her attacker had fled. In the years to come, Ash Smith described this cowardly event as a masterpiece. Like his later attempted attack, he scored the incident, labelling it as 95% successful. The survivor of the attack would not find out who the assailant was for many years, although he had left behind a piece of his tie. Unfortunately, another woman would be stabbed before police could link the two cases. Colin Ash Smith said his girlfriend Stella Murrell was his intended target on that day in October 1995. He got it into his head that Stella was having an affair. When he went to collect her from work on October 17th, he was 15 minutes late. Stella assumed her boyfriend was not coming to pick her up, so she decided to make her own way home. When Colin Ash Smith arrived late to pick up Stella and she was not there, he believed that as she had left work without him, this was a clear sign she was cheating on him. He drove around looking for someone to hurt. He spotted a man about his size Walking along the street, but decided against an attack. Then, tragically, he set his gaze upon 21 year old healthcare worker Charlotte Bernard. He stopped his white Ford Capri and got out of the vehicle armed with a knife. He approached Charlotte from behind and tried to slit her throat. He wanted to drag her across the road to somewhere more secluded but instead Colin Ash-Smith continued the knife attack, stabbing the victim over 15 times. These included nine stab wounds to the back, along with several defensive injuries inflicted during the struggle. With unbelievable calm in such a situation, Charlotte Bernard decided to play dead. The frenzied attack stopped, Ash Smith ran back to his car, jumped in the vehicle and sped off. Again, unbelievably, another target of Ash Smith survived. The crime took place in Greenhithe, only a few hundred yards away from where Claire Tiltman was stabbed to death, just over two and a half years earlier. A keyring bearing a Star Trek logo that belonged to Colin Ash Smith was found at the scene. As detectives began to piece together what happened, Ash Smith was identified as a suspect and quickly arrested. His home and car were searched. Evidence gathered included part of a rip tie that had been used during the quarry attack in 1988. This proved to be the piece of evidence that linked the crimes together. Half had been discarded at the scene and half had been left in Ash Smith's car for all those years. It was practically impossible to deny he was there. Colin Ashsmith's writings and journals were seized, along with a light beige jacket that police suspected he wore during the attack on Claire Tiltman. And at her funeral. At Maidstone Crown Court in 1996, Colin Ash Smith pleaded guilty to the charges of attempted murder, kidnap, and attempted rape for the incident in 1988. And a charge of grievous bodily harm with intent for the attack on Charlotte Bernard. He later described why he carried out the first attack in 1988. I wanted to feel empowered, that I had control over someone, that I wasn't a doormat, Ash Smith said. I felt a bit of a scumbag. I had a very limited moral compass. To be honest, I was an animal. Details of his diary were relayed to the court, where he recorded his crimes and his planned assaults. This included how he described one of the attacks as his masterpiece. He had orchestrated a strange and disturbing prank, a staged attack on his girlfriend in public, just to see if anyone would notice. Not knowing what he had done, but finding his behaviour odd, his friends had at one time been calling him the Swanscombe Psycho. Offering no regrets or any regard for the survivor of a brutal attack, Ash Smith explained why he stabbed Charlotte Bernard. He wanted to take his, quote, frustrations out on someone. Ash Smith nonchalantly gave his excuses and described his mindset when he was under the belief that his former partner was being unfaithful. I had it in my head that she was seeing someone else and I thought she got a lift with him. He spoke of feeling relief and did not care about what happened to the victim. Charlotte Bernard was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. The judge told Colin Ash Smith that his aggressive and sadistic fantasies meant he was far too dangerous to be at large. Ash Smith was sentenced to life imprisonment. He faced a minimum of 15 years before he could be considered for parole. Colin Ash Smith was not the only one to go to prison for his crimes. In 1997, his father, Aubrey, would go to trial. Aubrey Ash Smith was accused of perverting the course of justice, a charge which he denied at Maidstone Crown Court. Aubrey admitted that he took apart an army knife and placed it in boiling water. That same weapon the prosecution suggested had been used in one of his son's crimes. But Aubrey Ash-Smith claimed he did this to remove his own DNA, not protect his son, following the attack on Charlotte Bernard in 1995. According to Aubrey, the idea to eradicate evidence this way came from detective television shows and films. The defendant's actions raised concerns about Claire Tiltman's murder and whether or not the same approach had been taken to destroy any evidence on the knife used in the attack, removing any DNA. However, Aubrey Ashmith explained to the jury, I didn't for one minute think my son would be arrested in connection with the Claire Tiltman murder. In spite of his protests that he was acting to protect himself, not his son, Aubrey Ash-Smith's argument was rejected by the jury, and he was found guilty. During sentencing, the judge mentioned Claire Tiltman's parents, who Aubrey knew, and had even tried to comfort following the news of their daughter's death. Aubrey Ash-Smith was told that his conduct in destroying evidence raised questions about his son's involvement in Claire Tiltman's murder. Convicted of perverting the course of justice, the judge sentenced Aubrey Ash-Smith to a year in prison. While he was in prison serving time behind bars for knife attacks on two women Colin Ash Smith was asked numerous times by Claire Tiltman's parents to admit that he killed their daughter but he refused the beige coat said to have been worn by Ash Smith yielded no clues the forensic techniques available then were light years behind what they are today With no other option, the jacket and other items seized as evidence in 1995 were returned to Colin Ash Smith's parents. Puzzlingly, in later searches of their home, the jacket would never be found. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
0: This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Sentair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Sentair comes in. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families in EcoVadis is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. In 2008, 15 years after Claire Tiltman's murder, Tragedy struck when Linda, her mother, passed away at 58 years old. She had been suffering from cancer of the esophagus. Two years after her death, on the spot where flowers were still regularly being left for Claire, someone had left something unusual. A cardboard sign stating the name of Claire's killer. The author also included information on the make and model of the car the accused had driven on the day they took Claire's life. Cliff, Claire's father, went to the local news with this new revelation. Yeah, it was a name on it. I, I can't remember the name, but it said that this person killed Claire. But I've never given up hope. I've always thought one day they'll come and knock on the door. I just want to find out, you know, just after all these years, just to put my mind at rest, you know, who it was and why they done it. The cardboard sign was quickly removed and the strange tip-off went nowhere. Maybe it was genuine and the author really knew who killed Claire, or perhaps it was left as a prank for attention. Sadly, four years after Linda Tiltman's death, her husband Cliff also succumbed to cancer after it spread rapidly throughout his body. Both of Claire's parents had died without seeing justice for the murder of their only daughter. It was believed heartbreak and stress over the loss of Claire contributed to their deaths. When Cliff Tiltman eventually passed away, His friends who were at his bedside described him as a totally broken man. In comments widely reported, Detective Superintendent Rob Vinson, who worked as part of the Kent and Essex Serious Crime Directorate, spoke about Claire's murder and her father's passing. He said, I have always maintained that the killer was a local person, that someone knows who he or she is. This year a good man went to his grave without ever seeing justice being served for the murder of his only daughter. This isn't the end of our investigation. We have always maintained that someone has information about this murder, and we will continue to investigate it. In the lead-up to his death, Cliff Tiltman had spoken about the person he believed was responsible for his daughter's murder. Colin Ash Smith. We know who did it. The police know who did it, Cliff said. I just wish he'd confessed all those years ago and saved us all this agony. In an appeal to Ash Smith to do the right thing, Cliff went on to say, I've tried year on year to get through to you in public appeals. Every day that goes by, I feel I'm letting Claire and Lynn down. I'm making a direct appeal to you to step out of the shadows and confess your guilt. While we served a life sentence, you have never been brought to justice. The Kent Constabulary had no plans to give up in their search to find Claire's killer. Working the case, Detective Superintendent Nick Biddis and Detective Superintendent Rob Vincent spoke with reporters. I want the person responsible for this not to sleep at night, because I'm hopeful that one day we will be banging on their door. New forensic techniques could be the the key to unlocking this case. We know there are advances every single day on our. DNA and forensics, i certainly very active on that, and a number of lines of inquiry still, and I'm still convinced that there's somebody out there that's got real key information in to this case. Eventually, in February 2014, a cold case team had gathered enough evidence to charge a suspect with the murder of Claire Tiltman just over 21 years since her death. The information officers had to review was extensive. During the first investigation, over 40,000 documents were collated. More than 1,500 statements were taken and 20,000 people were listed on the database used in Operation Artist. The charge came just in time. It was the day Colin Ash-Smith was set to be seen and assessed for release by the parole board. According to his ex-cellmate Stephen Dubois, Ash-Smith had confessed to a murder near a zebra crossing. Though Charlotte Bernard was attacked near where Claire Tiltman was killed, she survived, and by that time the crossing had been removed. Through the process of elimination, he could have only have been referring to killing Claire. He told Dubois he just snapped. Numerous personal logs and diaries of his attacks were kept by Ash Smith as if to relive his crimes. He also noted his fantasies, which he hoped to play out when he got the chance. Officers had gathered these from his home in 1995. In one such log, he'd made plans to kill a schoolgirl. He thought such an act sounded, quote, impressive. Over the years, Kent police had continually revisited Claire's case. Still, with no physical evidence, it had been an arduous investigation for the cold case team. Several months earlier, in September 2013, Colin Ash-Smith was now in his mid-forties and his chance for parole was fast approaching. He had received visits in Nottinghamshire's Watton Prison from his parents almost every Sunday. The small, cream, semi-detached house that belonged to Aubrey and Diane Ash-Smith, the former home of their son Colin, a search for a third time that month. The sleepy cul-de-sac was suddenly a hive of activity. When residents were getting up making their morning coffee, they saw a police van parked next to the Ash Smith's caravan outside. Two young police officers stood at the front of the driveway, but reporters still managed to capture Aubrey Ash Smith flipping his middle finger to them. As he exited his car that was parked behind the police van. He spoke with reporters.
1: I just don't know why I can't stop pounding
0: us. Aubrey was asked if he thought his son was innocent. They
1: couldn't prove it then. and they had a guy's then, and they still don't believe
0: to Told. Reporters continued to interview anyone they could at the scene. A police spokesperson was asked for a statement about the search and the investigation. They said, It is standard practice that undetected murders such as Claire's will be reviewed regularly. The activity is part of that ongoing review. A few days later, reporters Tim McFarlane and Alan Wood spoke to Aubrey Ash Smith at his home. He continued to deny his son was responsible and said that if Colin was a killer, there would be no contact between them. The only reason they put Colin in the frame was what he did to those other girls, which I was appalled at, he said. It took me a long time to get like I am with Colin. He's up for parole in a couple of months. It's a fishing expedition. Colin Ashsmith finally went to trial for Claire Tiltman's murder in December 2014, more than two decades after Claire was murdered. Ashsmith had already served four more years than his minimum term in jail for the multiple attacks on two women. Claire's school friends dutifully sat in the public gallery every day to make sure Claire was represented. As her parents had passed away, Claire's friends placed a photograph of Linda and Cliff on the public bench throughout the trial. Claire's extended family members also attended, filling the courtroom with the hope that decades after Claire's death, some sort of resolution would come. Colin AshSmith's parents, Diane and Aubrey, often did not appear and were noticeably absent towards the end of the legal proceedings. There had been a crucial change in the law since Ash Smith's first conviction. The jurors were now allowed to be informed about the defendant's criminal history, which included two knife attacks on women in the nearby area. And even without physical evidence, the case was able to move forward on a circumstantial basis, including details of Colin Ash Smith's previous crimes using knives to attack women and his confession to a former cellmate. The prosecutor had laid out the case against the accused. It was argued that the defendant killed Claire Tiltman simply to experience the quote warped pleasure he derived from attacking a lone woman and the ultimate power and control it gave him. Jurors heard that Colin Ash Smith had made a fundamental mistake by calling Kent police voluntarily the day after the incident to let them know he was driving his car in the area. Colin Ash Smith offered evidence in his own defence. He spoke about Claire Tiltman's death the relationship he and his parents had with the Tiltmans After it happened my dad and I volunteered to help support them in any way we could through the British Legion Club and I got to know them reasonably well he said The defendant told his counsel David Nathan QC that he saw the effect that the death had on Linda and Cliff Tiltman According to Ash Smith it made him want to kill the person responsible. Colin Ashsmith's former girlfriend Stella Murrell had confided to the police that after Claire's murder, her then-partner was acting strangely. This conversation was brought to the attention of the man in the dock. He dismissed this point, telling the court that Claire's murder had upset many people in the area, who responded to grief differently. Ash Smith's alibi during the period in which Claire Tiltman was killed had initially been provided by his mother Diane. She was a counsellor at the time of the murder and she later became mayor of Swanscombe in 1995. Diane said her son was with her leafleting homes in the area. Ash Smith was insistent this was the case. He now claimed to have been driving his mother to a constituent's home at that precise moment in time. However, interestingly, his mother Diane was never called as a witness, never taking the stand to confirm her son's whereabouts. After closing arguments, the jury of seven men and five women discussed the case for three and a half hours. After that time, they unanimously reached a verdict. Colin Stephen Ash Smith stood passively in the dock, giving little away as he heard the word, Guilty. The court took a brief recess before sentencing. Even though Claire Tiltman's parents had passed away, family members and friends were still profoundly affected by Claire's murder. Her uncle Roger Tiltman made a victim impact statement to the court, explaining what such a loss had done to his brother Cliff and his sister-in-law Linda. He said, They were a very close, self-contained family unit. When she was killed, it was the end of their lives, and they seemed to lose the will to live. All their dreams for Claire, growing up, having children, disappeared with her death. The death of Linda also affected Cliff greatly, and he just seemed to give up on life. During the trial, another relative of Claire's collapsed in the courtroom. He suffered a stroke and had to be hospitalised. On December 11th, 2014, Colin Ash Smith refused to return to the court when Mr Justice Sweeney sentenced him. The judge recounted how Ash Smith murdered a 16-year-old only a few days after her birthday. Clay Tiltman was described as engaging and lively, a popular girl with a wide circle of loyal friends. Although not in the courtroom, the judge addressed Colin Ash Smith as if he were. I have no doubt that this was a premeditated murder that you carried out because of the feeling of power that it gave you, Mr Justice Sweeney said. In doing so, you not only ended Claire's young life, which was so full of promise, but you also caused unbearable grief and upset to her family and friends. Claire's murder was not the only attack on a lone female that you carried out in the small area of Greenhive and Swanscombe. In the period between 1988 and 1995, throughout the vast majority of which you lived in that area, you planned a number of other such attacks, and carried out two in particular. Colin Ashsmith had spent the past 19 years incarcerated, but it was not for the murder of Claire Tiltman. If he had admitted to the killing in the 1990s when he confessed to the other crimes, the sentence for some of the charges would have likely run concurrently, decreasing the amount of time he had to serve. Still, the judge emphasised there were few mitigating factors in the murderer's favour. The sentence applied was according to the law in 1993. The judge said, In my view, given that Claire was vulnerable by reason of her circumstances, and that multiple injuries were inflicted, the higher starting point of 15 to 16 years would have applied. In addition to that, there was planning, and you armed yourself with a knife in advance. There is also the aggravating feature of your other convictions." That said, and whilst you only have yourself to blame for not admitting to Claire's murder in the mid-1990s, it seems to me that I must also have an eye to the total minimum term that would have been imposed had you been convicted of this offence and sentenced for it, along with the other offences in 1996. In that regard, I agree with your counsel that the minimum term would not have exceeded 40 years. Colin Ash Smith was told he was facing another life sentence with a minimum term of 21 years. Mr. Justice Sweeney praised the family and friends of the victim. He spoke of the dignified way they behaved throughout the trial. He said, I express my sorrow for the burden they have had to carry for many years. at Claire’s untimely loss. Outside the inner London Crown Court, Detective Superintendent Rob Vincent and Nigel Pilkington from the Crown Prosecution Service each spoke about Colin Ash Smith’s conviction. DS Vincent said, Ash Smith is a very dangerous individual. He is a predator. He would be stalking women with evil intent to carry out attacks, some of which he carried out and some of which he didn't. On the night in question, Claire was in the wrong place at the wrong time. When you look at the writings and some of the things he has done, this is a very, very dangerous individual. And justice has been served at last for the brutal murder of Claire. I pay tribute to the, the family and the friends and the investigation team who have been resolute in leaving no stone unturned in our absolute commitment to bring to justice Claire's killer. He believed he could evade justice for over 21 years because there was no forensic identification or other direct evidence to link him to Claire's murder. Whilst that may be true, what we did have was a number of seemingly small coincidences on that January evening, which when carefully considered, examined, and put together, made for a compelling circumstantial case. So where are we now? Colin Ash Smith appealed his conviction. It was reviewed in 2015, but he did not attend the legal proceedings at London's Royal Courts of Justice to hear the ruling. David Nathan QC put forward his client's case. It was argued that allowing the jury to learn of Ash Smith's previous crimes in quote repulsive detail was unjust. The barrister believed Ash Smith's writings were part of a sexual fantasy and putting forward this evidence was more prejudicial than probative. Three High Court judges looked at the conviction and arrived at their conclusion soon after. They found it to be sound. Colin Ash Smith's appeal was dismissed. Claire's friends spoke outside the court, relieved that Claire's murderer was to stay in prison, possibly for the rest of his life. Joanne Roberts, who had been instrumental in keeping Claire's case in the public eye, spoke to the press outside. We have justice for Claire and her parents and a very dangerous man will stay in prison. Our thanks go to the police and the Crown Prosecution Service for supporting us throughout. In 2016, Colin Ash Smith's father, Aubrey, was extremely sick. He was moved from his home to be cared for during his final days in a hospice in the Kent town of Northfleet. During April, he passed away. His son applied to the authorities for leave from his prison cell in Category B Prison, HMP Durham. He wished to attend the funeral under a special purpose licence. However, after a risk assessment was completed, Colin Ash request was denied. News of the decision caused a divide on social media. The majority of the public was simply infuriated by the fact he would even be allowed to apply for such a privilege after the crimes he had committed. Other members of the public felt the convicted murderer should be shown compassion regardless of what he had done, arguing it was his human right to apply. Claire Tiltman's school friend Joanne Roberts told the reporter for Kent Online, It is ludicrous that this man could believe he is deserving of such compassion, or that this is his right to say goodbye to his father and be a comfort to his mother, when they denied a family of everything life could have given them. To be honest, it makes us feel physically sick. He is serving another life sentence, and funerals are part of life outside of prison. In spite of his absence, Colin Ashsmith's presence was marked at the funeral by a large floral wreath spelling the word, Dad. After Claire Tiltman's death, her parents, Cliff and Linda, along with a loyal group of friends from her school, made sure the funny, determined teenager was never far from people's thoughts. There are tributes to Claire throughout the area where she lived. Claire Corswayne Greenhithe is named after her, along with a memorial plaque near the spot where she died. Claire's best friend Lisa made sure Claire would never be forgotten. 20 years after she was murdered, in 2013, on the anniversary of Claire's death, just four days after she should have turned 36, Lisa Gribbin led a candlelit walk remembering the friend she lost two decades earlier. She traced the route the teenager walked on the night she was murdered. In 2016, it was agreed that a road called Fast Track Manor Way be renamed Tiltman Avenue. Expressing his approval at the changes, Dartford Council leader Jeremy Kite said, I am very proud that we are doing it. Cliff and Lynn and Claire are now together and I hope they will take some comfort that this is a town that will never forget them. Five years later in January 2021, it was announced a centre in the village of Stone would also be named after Clare Tiltman. The centre is going to be used as a base for teenagers partaking in activities such as the Duke of Edinburgh's award, just as Clare Tiltman did. It will also serve as a place where other official youth-based groups can congregate. And participate in activities. The Claire Tiltman Centre is due to open in May 2021. Whenever Green Hythe is mentioned, it is often linked to Claire Tiltman's senseless murder. Those nearest to Claire have worked hard for decades to make sure Claire's life and that of her parents, Linda and Cliff, are remembered, not the callous act of her murder. Now Colin Ashsmith is certain to stay behind bars. It's a new chapter for the area, and those who cared for the Tiltmans. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer Sarah Judson and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com.